Come back to church. Your home is waiting for you. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus, and on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, we meet the 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese, who's being installed today. A self-described extrovert with a following for his YouTube videos and a new book, the Most Reverend William Byrne, who is 56, will oversee the four western Massachusetts counties with a Catholic population of about 230,000. WAMC's Pioneer Valley Bureau Chief Paul Tuthill spoke with Byrne about his life and his vision. What do you want the people of the Diocese of Springfield to know about you? That I am a priest uh, who loves being a priest. And I love my faith and I love our church. Um, and that I am uh, a pastor who, who believes that our experience should be one of good news and joy. And so I'm a chronically hopeful person. Why did you become a priest? Well, I mean, the initial thing is that God called, I believe God called me to be a priest, but I also became a priest because uh, I, I felt the, the call to, you know, to bring uh, healing to, to people who are wounded. I was raised uh, loving the faith and knowing that, uh, the, um, that the message made a huge difference in my own personal life and the capacity to share that with others and to walk the journey. One of the magnificent things about being a priest is that you are with people at each stage of their life. You are there when they baptize their baby and when you marry the couple and you are, they are bearing a loved one. It's the, the gift of being able to be present to people in every aspect of their lives in a, in a very privileged and beautiful way. And when did you get the calling to become a priest? Well, I was a senior at Holy Cross in uh, Worcester when I was thinking seriously about it. And I went to my parents and told them that I was thinking about being a priest. And my mother said, you know, I would love to have a son who's a priest. I'd hate to have one that used to be a priest. And so she said, you should do something you've never done before. And I was sort of imagining myself sailing across the Atlantic or spelunking or something like that. And I said, like what, Mom? And she said, get a job. <laughs> so I did. I taught school for three years, three really happy years. And the, the urge got stronger, and I knew I had to go and explore it. One of the things about... Uh, pursuing a vocation is you don't enter, you shouldn't enter seminary knowing for sure that that's what God wants you to do because then you won't be open to hearing and discerning God's call. So uh, the, the purpose of seminary is to confirm what God's really asking you to do, to do be or to do, whether that be to be a priest or to pursue a married vocation or whatever the Lord's calling you to do. So and you went to seminary in Rome, right? I did, yes. I studied at a place called the Pontifical North American College, which is the seminary owned or run by the U.S. bishops. And it's right next to the St. Peter's Square. It's an incredible privilege to be able to study close to the Pope and uh, to have a global universal vision of Catholicism. And after you were ordained, you spent most of your time in the Washington, D.C. area. Exclusively. So I was a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, which is the District of Columbia and then the five surrounding counties. And I was a parochial vicar for a few years, which means an assistant 
pastor uh, in several two parishes and then was sent to the University of Maryland uh, as the chaplain there, which is a lot like UMass, a big state school uh, with a vibrant uh, energy. So that was a wonderful time. What in your experiences up till now has prepared you to be Bishop of the Springfield Diocese? Well, my, my uh, assignments after the University of Maryland, I was then at St. Peter's on Capitol Hill. So in my time there, it was an urban parish uh, in a very, in, a, in a, a neighborhood that was changing but had yet to change. So there was both uh, a gentrification but then also the issues of, uh, of poverty that we, that you meet face to face when you're in a city parish. And I also had the privilege of working with members of the Congress and with uh, uh, the, their staff. The House of Representatives actually sits in that parish. So I did a special ministry to Catholic members of Congress, and uh, we would have dinner once a month, whoever wanted to show up. And then I was in a, a big suburban parish with uh, a school and uh, the varying needs of, of, of people. Um, and then during the pandemic, it sort of forced us all to, to branch out into new ways of, of preaching the gospel. And that ended up for me being on the internet and in, YouTube videos and things like that. So I think the, the Lord's provided me with a rich experience. And that's why I think he's called me to, with great joy in my heart, to come to Western Massachusetts. We'll come back to the internet presence. Um, let's talk about this diocese. Over the last couple of decades, um, it's shrunk in the sense that churches have closed, parishes have merged, schools have closed doesn't sound like a recipe for success. I think it's the perfect recipe for success. I think that it's an incredible opportunity. You know, what's radical in the world today? I think Jesus Christ and the gospel is radical. A message of, of selfless love, of self-gift, of uh, that l hate will never win, love will always conquer. That's a, a radical message in a time that we need to hear it desperately. So I am not discouraged by uh, a downward trend in the last couple of years because, or last couple of decades, because it also presents an incredible opportunity as a new, new generation comes forward who hasn't really heard the message. So it's very much sort of like one of the early apostles stepping off into uh, one of these cities where the, uh, like Corinth or um, uh, where the gospel and the good news hasn't been heard, where love hasn't been preached. And so I find it exciting. How are the finances of the diocese? Well, I, I, I haven't had, I've only been uh, here for two days actually in Springfield. So I can't really speak to, to that in any depth. Uh, I'll be happy to circle back with you once I have a chance, but I'm trying to figure out where uh, things go in my drawers when getting ready for the um, ordination next week. The annual Catholic Appeal reported um, doing quite well in its uh, collections, even though um, church attendance has been very limited because of the because of the pandemic. Right, and my, my experience, at least in my own parish back in Washington, was that people did actually step up. They understood the needs, and the pastors of, uh, and I know in Springfield, have done uh, the diocese of Springfield in Western Massachusetts 
have really done an exceptional job of keeping communities together in many in many ways in many uh, towns and parishes, uh, and have been able to sort of uh, garner that sense of community from which generosity flows. Parochial schools in Massachusetts have seen an increase in enrollment um, attributed by many to the fact that um, public schools, uh, for the most part, have not had much in-person education. It's either been all remote or it's been some hybrid part-time model. Do you think those enrollment um, gains at the parochial schools can be sustained once we get back to whatever normal looks like. Yeah, well, I, I'm a firm believer that we're not getting back to normal, Paul. We're going to get back to better. And it's been a line that I, I've, I've used, but I, I use it from my heart. The, the, the education that we're able to provide is, uh, is for the whole child. It's not just a mind and body, but it's a mind-body-spirit. And also the, the sense of community engendered by a small Catholic school uh, or a medium Catholic school and the excellence of our teachers. You know, our teachers who have been going back in, putting themselves at risk to go back into the classroom are doing it because they love the kids, but also because there's a sense of mission. And I think that sense of mission, the sense of uh, we don't have to pray, but rather we get to pray together and with each other and play and work hard and be good people together um, is tangible. And I, I'm a firm believer that once families make that sacrifice and realize it's not just about getting their kid back in classroom, but the difference that that Catholic school classroom makes in the life of their child, I think we're gonna see continued growth. Your ordination um, ceremony uh, Monday is by invitation only, and I read that um, you have invited some clergy sex abuse survivors to attend. What, what's the message you're hoping to convey with that? So it's, we're, we have very limited space because of the COVID restrictions, but it, what I think this is showing is, is that healing, and especially healing uh, of those who have experienced um, the hideous uh, abuse that has been at the hands of the church's ministers, that healing needs to be a top priority for us all. And so my uh, extension of an invitation is not, I hope, to be seen as some sort of uh, checking a box, but rather to say, you are my priority. And, and I am sorry for the, the victims and the victimization and that what, whatever we can do to bring healing to those individuals, to their families, to their friends, because it's not just a one-person uh, devastation. It rocks a, a whole community. Uh, and I think the, the tragedy that we've seen in the last few years as we've seen a systemic, we, we witnessed a systemic issue in the past, was that uh, when people were trying to keep this uh, um, below the radar. They were hoping to avoid scandal and what they did was just break beneath the surface uh, so that the, the sense of unity, so that when it really did come to light, we recognized a devastation that had happened through our silence and our lack of communication and our lack of transparency. And we need to 
commit ourselves, me as the shepherd of this diocese, but especially all of us as believers and professors of, of God's love, that, that healing love is what we need to make a priority. As bishop, how involved are you going to be directly in um, the diocese response to any future sex abuse allegations? I, I am not bishop yet, but I already am very much um, involved. You know, the, the vast majority of cases uh, tend to be uh, from farther back, but that doesn't mean that the healing doesn't need to happen. And uh, we did a survey of the diocese before I was even announced, before I even knew. And the two messages that came through loud and clear from all the people that uh, generously took the time to uh, fill this out was that we needed transparency and communication. And those two are uh, cru crucial to how I think we need to move forward. And so I've already um, instructed our staff to start preparing so that we can begin to release uh, the names so that we will have uh, transparency and we're reviewing those and making sure that we do it in a way that that um, doesn't just drop a bomb, but actually we have the outreach to those who are survivors, uh, the pastoral tools necessary to help them, and also to be prepared uh, to support the good work of so many holy and kind, good priests who have done uh, nothing but beautiful service in their ministry and yet are somehow tainted and besmirched by the, these, these few who cause so much damage. So uh, that transparency and communication, we're already working on that, and I'm not even bishop yet, but it's a priority of mine. You're going to be getting a report from a uh, from a task force uh, that was um, assembled by your predecessor to um, uh, recommend changes in the way the diocese uh, handles clergy sex abuse uh, allegations. Do you have any indication as to how soon you're going to get that report? I don't know the timeline, but I know the work is is ongoing and it's uh, ongoing with a sense of urgency. So I can't speak to the uh, exact time, but. Uh, it's a priority of mine to make sure that it happens sooner than later. Uh, you are a, uh, a well-known internet presence uh, as a result of a series of YouTube videos you produced that uh, you've now turned into a book. Tell us about that. How, how, did, how did all that start? Well, they, they, they started as a series of articles called Five Things, and they were in our local Catholic newspaper in Washington, the Catholic Standard. And then once people, I heard the response, people liked them because they were, they're very approachable. The book is called Five Things with Father Bill, Hope, Humor, and Help for the Soul. And um, people find them, they, they, they speak to the truths of the faith. They are uh, theological in nature, but they, I believe that God speaks in all things. I actually have a whole uh, theory behind this that I'll, I'll share with you. Um, Gary Marshall was the, the producer of Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And I was reading in his obituary about how he said that he thought the world, that life was school and that his shows he wanted to be recess. And, and I'm a firm believer that I think we've turned church into school 
when it should be recess. And recess, all the studies show that if kids don't have recess, they don't learn. It's the time to fill your lungs with fresh air and recharge yourself and go out and play with your friends. And that's what our faith experience should be. And I wanted to highlight that for people, that uh, our faith should be, a, should be recess. It should be rejuvenation. It should be life-giving. And it should be joyful and fun. So the topics include things like um, five things I learned from my dog or uh, five things I learned from my puppy or five gifts uh, that you should give your parents on graduation, just things of everyday life. But there's a serious message you're looking to convey. Oh, absolutely. It's not, uh, I, it's not just whimsical sketches. It is, in fact, uh, each, each chapter has its own, um, its own point, a theological point that is, um, it's not, it's, that's deep, but it's approachable. And I don't believe God should be inaccessible. God should be able to be found in how we treat one another and how we live our lives and enjoy the, the creation he's given us. Are you producing new material? Well, right now I'm busy trying to get made, uh, get everything ready for the uh, being a bishop, and then we'll get through Christmas, and then we're going to start doing some more stuff. So I'm excited about that. You have a uh, uh, you have a co-star on the on the video on the video series uh, a, a black Labrador who's in fact has been uh, wandering around here from room to room as as uh, as as we've been speaking here at the Chancery. That's right. My dog Zelly, named after Saint Zelly Martin, the mother of Saint Therese of Lisieux, is a two and three quarter year old black Labrador retriever, and uh, she hails originally from New Hampshire. She came from Bow, New Hampshire, and, um, and she's a very, very lovable dog. And she's especially great with, um, with kids, little kids. When I would be there at the end of Mass, uh, you couldn't see her because there would be so many uh, tykes all surrounding her. And I've already asked that the priests, when they invite me to come to visit the parish, that they welcome uh, Zelly. And she is... Uh, taking somewhat to her, ce her celebrity. I think it's going to her head. She's calling herself the Episcopup. And, um, but we just will try and keep her humble through the process. And on that note, is there anything else you'd like to add? Come back to church. Your home is waiting for you. And it's, there's no reason Catholics can always and non-Catholics can always come home. So please come Say hello, meet me. I can't wait to get to know you. God bless you. Okay, that does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks to my colleague, Paul Tuthill, for that interview. Until next time, I'm Ian Pickus.